Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madhvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? It's March, it's Women's History Month, and Women's Day was this month, and a lot of things have been happening to do with women and feminism in Germany this month too. On the 1st of March, Anne-Lena Baerbock, who is our foreign minister, outlined in an 80-page document our feminist foreign policy. So we are one of the few countries in the world that now has officially a feminist foreign policy, along with Mexico, Canada. Sweden was the first country in the world to have this, but they have since actually got rid of it since they got a new government. And then also, interestingly, in Feminism Women News a few days ago, which weirdly made the international news with a way bigger splash than the feminist foreign policy, women in Berlin are now able to swim topless, so the nipple has been freed. And then we are one year on, or more than one year on, from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. There were some interesting things that happened with the feminist debate in this sense too. There's a protest in support of Ukraine, and interestingly at Unter den Linden, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a Russian tank parked on Unter den Linden right outside the Russian embassy. I have not seen this, although I don't really frequent that area that much, to be honest. <laughs> they just took this Russian tank that had obviously been captured and then brought it all the way to Berlin and put it right in front of the Russian embassy. Wait, it's a real tank? Yes, from the war. And what does the Ordnungsamt have to say about this? I mean, I think it's blatantly a propaganda statement. You know, it's one of those war things. Yeah. I don't think the Ordnungsamt uh, have jurisdiction here. To be fair, I wouldn't be surprised if it did get a parking ticket because <laughs> Germany. Because Germany, yep. I feel like one can take a very Byron approach to this here and be like, actually, the rule book doesn't say anything about parking your tank. So then, like, the day after this protest, thousands of people gathered under another protest called Rebellion for Peace. And this was led by prominent German feminist Alice Schwarzer and left party politician Sarah Wagenknecht. And what was interesting about this is there were loads of flags Russian flags, there were loads of these peace symbols and dove symbols and all this kind of peace stuff. There were hardly any Ukrainian flags. And that was accompanied by a manifesto for peace that was also written by these two women that has reached almost 750,000 signatures as we record. And what they're calling for is that we stop supporting Ukraine by sending any weapons there but also in a funny turn of phrasing they are saying that there needs to be compromises on both sides so as feminists and from the linke they want peace but in a very pacifist way whereas the feminist foreign policy is kind of interesting because Annalena Baerbock has outlined it as not a pacifist foreign policy which is interesting because, of course, all feminist foreign policies are different. But feminist foreign policy, the ultimate aim is kind of like a pacifism. It comes from a pacifist goal. But because there is a war 
right now, very close by. In light of this, this foreign policy has been made. And she said very clearly that it's not pacifist. And the reason that she says this is she's saying, well, it came from a conversation with a Ukrainian woman who said, until women are safe, no one is safe. And right now, there are sexual assaults and rape and everything happening in the war. A feminist foreign policy, the strategy is that you make the most vulnerable parts of society safe in order to ensure, like, as a measurement, to show that, like, everyone is safe, basically, and secure. And women fall into this, as do minorities and stuff. It's quite an intersectional approach. But, yeah, so the reason she says that she's not pacifist is that we need to send the weapons there in order to protect the women in Ukraine. Whereas there seems to be a fight in German feminism because... Alice Schwarzer and Sarah Wagenknecht have repeatedly at this rally, we can link to it, there's a video of her on Twitter being asked by journalists, like, as a feminist, shouldn't you be concerned about the sexual violence against Ukrainian women? And she says, well, let's not talk about the the raped women or the traumatized kids. Let's talk about, you know, what we want, which is peace. And then similarly, on a TV program called Heart of Affair, Wagenknecht said, you know, there was a report of a Ukrainian woman and how her experience was being raped by Russian soldiers. And she said, well, you know, it's war and that's part of war. So this Ukrainian woman said, eh, it happened to me. No, no, know. she didn't say it. Oh, no. I mean, so no, it, it was a report. So she wasn't right there. right? But the, the, the fat seat of the report was... Sexual violence is just a byproduct of war, and c'est la vie. But actually, it's not such a it's not such a shocking opinion. Like that has been the opinion all the way through history. That Absolutely, but the point of it was like, eh, not an issue because it always happens. I mean, she didn't say that, but kind of, yeah, she said that. But she said, well, it's it's a fact of war, and there's 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 crimes on both sides, and of course, it is a fact of war that women always do get raped but the point is that in the feminist foreign policy this is not seen as just accepted and as a part of war like it's seen as the fundamental problem that has to be solved whereas in the other view which is a traditional foreign policy is about the security of the state and not of the individual whereas with a feminist foreign policy it's more about, you know, you're taking into account the safety of women and the security of the individual. So anyway, in Germany, in general, there seems to be quite a big switch, I have to say, like that we're switching officially along official lines to more of an intersectional approach, at least in in the writing. Good. I don't know, honestly, where the nipples fit into all of this, but I'm sure we can make it fit. Oh, no, I mean, I think that the nipples fit into it absolutely perfectly, because I think the reason why this is what the world is also interested in is because, one, we live in a highly sexualized culture and everyone is interested in boobs. And second of all, because I think that this sort of outlines one of the biggest roadblocks, maybe, that feminism runs into, where it's like freeing the nipple is good, right? Like the freedom to be topless, the freedom to show your no, not even show your body, the freedom to just be as a woman. But then also it kind of works into the favor of men, or at least straight men, because they like looking at boobs. So it's like 
it made news because the news is obsessed with boobs and men are obsessed with boobs. I would say that women who like women are also obsessed with boobs, but they also have decency and respect and understand the concept of consent. So they can deal with that much better. Stray men are like freaking ridiculous. So that's why that made the news because it's like, yeah, everyone loves boobs. Let's talk about boobs. And like, as a woman, you're like, right, well, now I don't want to go topless, even though I have the right to, because then like all these men are going to be ogling me. Also a little confusing that this made such big news where I'm like, I honestly didn't even know that women weren't allowed to be topless in swimming pools because growing up in Germany, I feel like at every lake, at every like body thing, all the women just were nude. It started because a woman actually was in one of the Stadtbad here and she had taken off her, you know, the top. I think she was sunbathing. Maybe it was one of the public ones that were outside last summer. Mm -hmm. And then she was, you know, told off or chucked out or something. And then she sued. She was like, well, all the men can go around however they like. And why can't the women? I mean, I think it is progress because like you have the same thing on Instagram where they're censoring women's bodies and nipples and, you know, it's shameful as a woman to show your boobs because of the male gaze. Yes. And then therefore you're censoring, you know, your body and your freedom and everything because of that. Yeah. And everything's being sexualized. And this is a way of just not sexualizing bodies and just putting them on an equal playing field which is good but i don't know if it does that like i to be clear i fully yeah. support it and i i think that yes the end goal should be the desexualization of naked bodies but i think that we still live in such a sexualized society where a woman being topless at a pool can never not be sexual in the context of our society right now maybe this is a step in the right direction maybe i can't see that right now totally open to well, exactly. I mean, what's your solution that we just, because men are still going to oh, be yeah. indecent just to always uh, keep a society based around them? No, absolutely not. I mean, to be honest, I don't have a solution. Well, I think it's a step in the right direction. Also, yeah. if women do clearly want to do this, then they're free to without being told that they can't, you know, that the female body is somehow either shameful or sexualized or disgusting or always seen from a male gaze is just not good. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think there's another point here, which is obviously emancipation from the male gaze and the sexualization and all this kind of stuff in the West is always seen as taking off more clothes, which I am all for. It's so liberating just walking around naked. I think everyone should do it all the time. It's really good. When I go to Bali, like you feel so natural and nice and I'm all for it. And I totally don't think women should cover up. However, there is the problem of like, okay, so that's no longer taboo eventually because we start this process of, of making the woman's body less and less taboo. But then maybe if a woman goes to a pool at the same time in a burkini, that could be seen as other and different. And also, like, it's not on the same level of just let women do what they want. I think in this sense, it does tie into the feminist foreign policy because the feminist foreign policy is intersectional in its approach. Mm -hmm. And I think in the end... This idea of, like you were saying, like, yeah, it's 
we live in a problematic society, you know, how are you going to solve this? And I think the feminist foreign policy has the same problems. Like, yeah, we would like ideally to be in a pacifist world, but we're not. But this is a first step towards pacifism. And also, if you look at it, things from an intersectional point of view, you're kind of promoting democracy on a much wider level. We have lots of different people living in this country. And I think sometimes people who feel left out of democracy become disenchanted with it and democracy just doesn't work as well. Yeah, I keep on thinking about I Am Not a Monster, the second season about Shamim and Begum, who is a teenager. When she was a teenager, she left to join ISIS and she grew up in Bethnal Green. And actually, one of her friends that was interviewed for the podcast said, well, they felt really left out, like neither here nor there because they were not English and then they were not Bengali. And she actually pointed out specifically the point of, you know, for example, going swimming is hard because then you wear a bikini, then people look at you funny and you always feel a bit like different and othered and uh, stuff like that. And yeah, the, the girl went off and joined ISIS, which is not good either, you know. So I think there's like more of an eye towards all of the different people from different races, um, different economic backgrounds and all of this. Yeah, it's just really going to help sort of democracy in this country, especially since we had this, you know, the Reichsberger try to like take over the country and stuff like this. I think we've got a lot of divisions happening right now. So I think that the foreign policy, which also applies to like, you know, how many minorities there are in government here is eventually going to promote more peace. But yeah, it's a, it's one step in a not an ideal world, like the boobs thing. Is boobs a good word? Boob's a good word. I think boob is a good word just because it's kind of fun to say. Boob. No? Just me? What about Michael Buble? Michael Buble? I think it's Buble. It's even worse. But yes, boobs is a very fun word to say. I think that obviously we all want peace in the world, right? Like we all want the world to be a lovely, happy place where we all get along and everything's great. But that's completely unrealistic given the nature of humanity and society because like if history has taught us anything is that that's a very idealistic thing. And I and I don't mean to say that we shouldn't strive towards it. Like I think we should be actively working towards a better world and peace and things like this. But I think that Ali Schwarzer and Sarah Wagenknecht's approach of like, this isn't our war, we should like, you know, be fighting for peace is incorrect because it reveals their privilege so much. To be able to sit in your comfy home somewhere in Germany and say, maybe we should all like, we should stop fighting or we should stop sending them weapons because that just encourages the war really reveals that, yes, obviously Ali Schwarzer as a feminist in Germany has been fighting against oppression. But even then so, it's like she's almost coming at this maybe from such a privileged angle that she can't understand that people in marginalized positions don't have the luxury to say, maybe we want peace because they're in situations where peace is not an option. They have to fight. It's like when white people will say to black people in America, well, like, well, why, you know, why don't you just protest peacefully? It's kind of the same logic of like, yes, if you're in a position of, you know, you're Ali Schwarzer, you have 2.4 million euros in a bank account in Switzerland somewhere. and Does have, she? Uh-huh, and have been charged for Steuerhinterziehung. Maybe it's what? really easy to say, maybe we should stop the fighting in Ukraine. Sorry, I have a lot of questions. Yes, she absolutely. has not paid taxes. Uh-huh. So she she has to pay 200,000 euros in 
taxes because she was found guilty of tax evasion because she had money in a bank account in Switzerland. So this is one of Germany's most prominent feminists who started the magazine Emma in 1977. Sorry. Wild, huh? How did this woman become Germany's most prominent feminist? Okay, let's do a quick look at who is Ali Schwarzer, because I think for a lot of younger people, her name won't maybe be as well-known. And I think also Ali Schwarzer has become one of the most controversial figures. And the more that I read about her, not only the more angry did I get, but the more kind of I like... I don't know, she like really brewed something up in me because it was like... I can see sort of the impact that she had and sort of the things that she did, but then also at the same time, she like says really, really, sorry mom, fucked up shit at the same time where you're kind of like, do you even like women? Like, do you hear what you're saying? So Ali Schwarzer was born in 1942 in Wuppertal. Her dad was a soldier who came home from fighting and then left again, and that was that. So she was raised by her grandparents. And so I was listening to a podcast where they were playing clips from her interviews where she keeps talking about how her grandmother was not a very mütterliche person and actually she was raised by her grandfather who was like very mütterlich. And I was listening to her talk about it and I was like, girl, you still have these like this expectation that a woman needs to be nurturing and loving. And that you're like, you know, it's really weird that I became a feminist because my, like, first male role model was this very, like, mothering, loving person. And I was like, why is that weird? She presented it like it was this really weird thing that a man would care about his child. So are you saying it's in women's nature to be mothers and you think it's weird that your grandmother wasn't very mothering? You were born in 1942, so, you know, we are all obviously to some extent really heavily influenced by the the culture we grow up in, and I guess in 1942 this was the norm, right? But it just seems very, I don't know, it it really struck me as weird. This thing of like, I guess I probably shouldn't have been a feminist because my grandpa was really nice. So she frames feminism basically as men versus women. In this sense, yeah. Anyway, so... She talks about how, like, growing up, Elvis Presley was her favorite musician. I think I made a note in, like, our chat on Telegram where I was like, this is off to a great start. Her favorite musician was a white man who stole from black culture and black women. But actually, That was everyone. Uh, that was everyone. <laughs> yeah, no. no, you cannot. <laughs> you, you cannot give her shit. Everyone liked Elvis Presley. She basically started a bunch of things and stopped them and went to school and stopped going to school. She just kind of didn't know what she was doing. She was a little lost. Eventually, she and her best friend Barbara moved to Munich. She had a boyfriend. He followed her to Munich. He proposed. She said, no, not interested in that. And then she moves to Paris. She's 21. She packs up her shit and she moves to Paris on her own. In Paris, she works as a cleaning lady. She, you know, does like typing work. She babysits. She basically does what she has to do to get by. She there meets her longtime partner, Bruno Pietsch, who will be her life partner until 1974. She describes Paris as her second Heimat, her second home. But then she eventually returns to Germany. She moves to Düsseldorf to do another voluntary work at the Düsseldorfer Nachrichten. Summer of 1969, she moves back to Paris. She lives with Bruno. She 
meets Jean-Paul Zatre and Simone de Beauvoir. She becomes friends with them. She interviews them. She ends up writing a book about Simone de Beauvoir. Big deal. Yes. And in 1970, she becomes part of the Parisian women's movement, the MLF. And in her own words, she writes, Wir schockieren und verändern rasch die Öffentlichkeit. Die Feministen sind da. Translated is, we shock and change very quickly the public. Feminism is here. 1970s Paris. So she takes all of these provocative ideas of self-knowledge back to Germany. And in 1971, on the 6th of June, 1971, in Stern Magazine, there is an article published called Ich habe abgetrieben, which means I had an abortion, which is signed by like over 300 women in Germany, you know, including like Romy Schneider, Santa Berga, like really prominent women. She also signs it, although it is later revealed that she didn't have an abortion, but it was for the, you know, it, it was a, a support to get the, you know, yeah. to get it rolling. In 1971, saying I had an abortion is a really, really shocking thing. So it actually is a massive statement to align yourself with this, mm. even if it's not true. And so they are fighting against paragraph 2118. We've done an entire episode on abortion in Germany. You should go listen to it. We will link it in our show notes and in our newsletter. And paragraph 2119a was just reversed, which is actually the law which also stems from the Nazi era, which made it illegal for doctors to advertise their services, aka like a gynecologist couldn't have on their website that they perform abortions because that counted as advertisement. So, I mean, this fight started in 1971 and we've just sort of made progress in it. But I think abortion is still illegal in Germany, technically. Yeah, technically abortion is still illegal in Germany, yeah. So we haven't made that much progress. No, we've made one progress gynecologists can now list I perform abortions as a service on their website. I blame the church. Yeah, me too. Since then, she's basically published a bunch of books. In 1975, she appeared on television and had a debate with another woman called Esther Villar, who basically says that it's not women who are suppressed in society, it's men. And she debated her on television, for which the Bild-Zeitung described her as die Hexe mit dem stechenden Blick. Which translates as the witch with the... Piercing gaze. That is so sexist to just uh, categorize a woman who is speaking on an issue as a witch. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that she's had to deal with her entire career is the fact that she has been described as ugly in the news, like people attack her appearance, just all of the sexist things that we're used to, sadly. All feminists get accused of this, and then they're like, no wonder they're feminists, because they're ugly and they can't get a man. And it's like, oh my god. Yeah. This is a political thing about equality and society. Exactly. I spoke to my mother about Ali Schwarza and what she kind of remembers about her. And she did make that comment. She was like, you know, she was really torn apart in the press. People were horrible to her. I mean, not that, that she deserves our sympathy nowadays for that, but it's just as... Well, I think she does. Yeah, I mean, she should not have been. No, she shouldn't have been, but I don't think that it excuses her behavior nowadays, you know? No. But it should be added that actually in Germany, abortion of any kind was illegal until 1976. So the German abortion law is kind of confusing because... The law right now is 
it is illegal except in certain cases. And before 1976, we didn't even have this in certain cases aspect of it. I mean, Ali Schwarzer did do truly amazing things back in the day. So, for example, she was vital in giving women more autonomy in Germany and having this sort of cemented into laws. She helped push those through. So a lot of the rights that I have nowadays as a woman in Germany, a lot of the autonomy, a lot of the independence I have, and sort of thanks to feminists of this generation. And this is where we run into the massive problem with Ali Schwarza, because her feminism is really a tunnel vision feminism. She is so hyper-focused on her own identity as a feminist. I was listening to a podcast from the set called Sorry Mom, Who the Fuck is Ali Schwarza? That is the name of the podcast. If you don't like it, then I suggest you write the Süddeutsche Zeitung. That was aimed solely at my mother, because she doesn't want me to curse so much. And there's a quote from Teresa Bücke, who is a modern-day German journalist, author, and feminist. She's really cool, you should check her out. And she says, Ali Schwarzer will, dass der Feminismus mit ihr endet. Which translates to, Ali Schwarzer wants feminism to end with her. And one of the things that sort of keeps coming up a lot when I was listening to different public intellectuals talking about Ali Schwarze was this idea of Ali Schwarze has really built up a brand of herself as a feminist and that everything she does and everything she says is to keep this brand alive. Like she accepted a advertising deal with the Bild Zeitung. You know, it was like a, a spread of like a hundred influential people and they were all advertising things and she was in there and her justification for being in this is she's like, well, I thought women should be in there. But then all at the same time, it's kind of like, yes, that makes sense. You want women to be represented, but your feminism is very sort of leaning towards capitalism in this sense, right? Like you're working for the liberation of women, but only for the liberation of women within like a capitalistic mindset. You want women to be represented in ads, thus you're promoting yourself through this, keeping in mind all the while she was like hiding money in Switzerland in a bank account. I do think that that's, that's, the, that's the same question, right? We're living in this system. Yeah. So what do we do? Just like not participate, like not have any representation at all. I mean, that's even worse. So you even a little change is still a change. And I do think the fact that she was hiding money in like that's actually got nothing to do with the actual debate of that question. Like, so if somebody no, but it does contributes to the debate of why she took part in advertisement because you're like, ah, you have acquired a wealth of two point four million and you've hidden this. How did you acquire that money? It makes me question her reason for taking part in highly publicized newspaper ads with one of the uh. biggest trashiest newspapers in germany it's like were you really doing this because you want women to be visible or were you doing this because mm. you are being paid a lot of money i always want women to be more visible but i think that sometimes her feminism lacks well her feminism lacks a lot of things i mean she's a turf she's swerf what's a swerf a sex worker exclusive feminist oh, i see she doesn't like sex workers she, she doesn't, doesn't like trans people no she doesn't like turfs and swerfs which is kind of fun to say 
and she's pretty white feminist. She's very white feminist. She's incredibly Islamophobic. She has gone on record saying truly ridiculous things about Muslim women, in particular women who are veiled. Things that I honestly find reprehensible because she has criticized the veil as being a tool of oppression. And it's like, you're just, again, controlling what women can and cannot wear. It's like, how does this make you any better than men? Let women have the free choice to wear what they want and stop giving them your opinion on what they wear. Like, leave women alone, give them their agency, let them do what they want. Shut up. Yeah, no, it's interesting, yeah, that there's one idea of how all women should be. And this, again, goes back to this nipple thing, but also it goes back to this, like, rebellion for peace protest, because then, inevitably, even though it's the left, Asada Wagenknecht on the left is very left. She's communist left. And then at this protest, obviously, what happens is because people don't want to go to war with Ukraine also happened to be people on the right. So a lot of right elements turned up and also signed this petition and stuff. And to be fair, at the process they did say there's no room for basically fascists here. They said it, but everyone knew, they knew that in this march for these numbers that they're going to have to march with and stand with those people in protest. And those people are you know, the right elements that basically are against any woman of colour. So yeah, she's she is tunnel visioned. I, I mean, both of them really are. Like By excluding so many other types of women from their feminism. On top of just being tunnel visioned in the way that they exclude women from their feminism, I also think that like Ali Schwarza has just ventured into the like straight up racist. Like she wrote an entire book called What Went Wrong? About, like, do you remember in Cologne, mm. the on New Year's Eve, the attacks? So after the, the crisis in Syria, when a lot of refugees came to Germany in Cologne, there were a few incidents on New Year's night where men of colour, presumably, who had come in this as refugees, had actually assaulted women in Cologne. Which is, like, abhorrent, should not have happened. But then on the flip side, you're like, I'm sorry, are you acting like the German men in this country are saints? Like they don't go around groping and raping and whatnot women? Of course they do. Like the concept of men being shit to women is something that transcends race, ethnicity, culture. She's basically criticized uh, Syrian refugees who have come here as having like views from the Middle Ages and saying like, if you want to live in this country, you have to integrate into our politics and you have to live the way we live as if Western culture is the pinnacle and the be all of all cultures. Again, like, I think this is an incredibly delicate and nuanced issue in the sense of like, one, part of the assumption is, is that all of these people want to be here, Right. These are people who have fled a horrific situation. So I think we need to be sensitive to that. I'm not trying to say that you should let people get away with anything they want. If people commit crimes, then they should be held responsible for those crimes, obviously. But her her view to me strikes me as just like, this is a really great country and we are so forward thinking. And I have fought so hard for this country to be amazing. So if you're going to come in, then you need to appear to my rules. 
I think her view is just racist. So she has an idea of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It is completely racist. Yeah. She has an idea of what the stereotypical person is, and that person is a uncivilized type of person, and that's that. Okay. It's like newsflash. People be shit regardless of their ethnicity, nationality, or race. Or they be nice. Or they can be nice. Yes, they are lovely. <laughs> there are so many lovely humans out there of all nationality, races, and cultures, of course. Great. But it's just like this hyper-focus on the shit aspect where you're like, cool, that's not unique. Also, and my mom also said, you know, I never liked her because she was always sex worker exclusionary and she has the wrong approach to the whole thing. And I was pleasantly surprised that my mom back in the 70s and 80s was like not on, you know, I think that this was kind of the rhetoric at the time that, as they called it at the time, I know the language has changed, but you know, prostitution is a bad thing and and it's like negative towards women and thus the only way we can deal with it is make it illegal. Nowadays, I think she's basically burning her own legacy. And I think furthermore that maybe her legacy isn't even as phenomenal as we think it is. Mm. Because I think that, yes, she's done great things for feminism, but she didn't do these things alone. And I think this unacknowledgement of other feminists is terrible, of, of this this crusade of I did it and I did it all alone. Mm. It's like, what? They're are also aspects of feminism at the time that were built on the backs of much more radical, much more leftist feminists who remain unacknowledged because I think that Ali Schwarza is very highly publicized because the truth of the matter is she was conventionally attractive. No matter how much the media tried to paint her as ugly, she was a thin, white, attractive woman who was good at speaking in public, and so you could package that really nicely for the general public and feed it to them. So that's why she got a lot of media attention. And because at the end of the day, her feminism was aligned with keeping the status quo of capitalism alive, whereas other feminists at the time were anti-capitalism, and so their feminism must obviously be ignored, not talked about, not acknowledged, even though a lot of the work that they did led Ali Schwarza to do what she did. You make a really good point, and I think we should, since it's Women's History Month, for our next episode, cover all these amazing other German feminists, since Ali Schwarza does get a lot of centering in Germany and we've just done that so <laughs> yes <laughs> as well. we have so next episode watch out for some more on some great German feminists just to round off this episode Ali Schwarze nowadays has become a transphobic sex worker exclusionary white feminist and she's really turning modern feminists against her because she's so inflexible. And, and I don't think this is unique to Ali Schwarze. I think that one of the big problems we have in life is as we get older, our worldview tends to get less flexible. You know, we tend to want to focus on what we know. Yeah, I think culture changes too. And you can't hang on to your ideas. I guess we'll, we'll be listening to this yeah. <laughs> in 20 years and being like, oh, whoops. Yeah. But also because, you know, I think... Ali Schwarze generation are in a really weird, unique place where it's like they were born during the, you know, she was born during the tail end of the Nazi time. 
and the world has changed so much. I sympathize with people who find it hard to keep up with technology. I really do. It must be so strange and but shocking. But I don't think it's the technology. No, but I think that it's the, the change in the world that comes with technology and globalization and, and all of that. And so I, I get that it must be alienating and strange, but this inability to let go of your worldview and to accept that maybe times have changed and your voice isn't the most relevant anymore. Yeah, it's the same in, in every country. You know, we have Jermaine Greer, we have J.K. Rowling, who had a certain idea of what they wanted from their feminism. And, and now things are more complicated and complex than those aims. And they can't let go of it, I think. Which is also a little ironic of Ali Schwarzer to say, I want peace. And then turn around and make a bunch of in statements that incite hate, which then eventually lead to violence. So, good job. So, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, if you find your views being challenged, try and be more open and listening and flexible when you are challenged. Thing two, I think it's really important to know your history beyond what is painted in the mainstream and the mass media. So what I mean is that if you were to look at the history of feminism in Germany, you would see there was one feminist and her name is Ali Schwarzer. But really dig a little bit deeper and find out about all of the amazing women who did amazing work. And you can do that super easily by listening to this podcast, the next episodes to come. And thing three, it's always worth just asking your mother, your grandmother questions, because I asked my mom about her views on feminism and her views on Ali Schwarza, and I learned some wonderful and surprising things about my mom. So, you know, talk to the amazing women who came before you. That's all for this week. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore mis underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.